Hey there, Pastor Mark here. It's our prayer that this message would encourage and equip you in your relationship with Jesus. We're able to provide this content due to the joyful generosity of our financial partners. And if you'd be willing to join that tribe and help get some sermons like this around the world, you can donate at harvestbaptist.info slash give. God bless. Go to Proverbs chapter number 31 this morning. I was looking back through my notes and sermons I preached over almost seven years with you now, and I have never preached a Mother's Day nor a Father's Day sermon to you. But uh, we're studying through Revelation right now. If, if you're new, we're going verse by verse through that book, and we're in chapter 16 of Revelation, which is like the heaviest chapter in maybe the whole Bible. And I thought, you know what? I just don't know that this, feel, this just fits right with Mother's Day. I'm going to preach a Mother's Day sermon. My wife asked me, she said, can you tie the text, this text of judgment and wrath, can you tie it into Mother's Day? I said, what? I mean, like... Kids, whatever you put me through, you got it coming one day. Like, I don't know. That's about the best I could do. So I thought better of it. And we're going to look at Proverbs chapter number 31 this morning. And uh, I have a love-hate relationship with this chapter. I love it because it is this beautiful, almost mesmerizing picture of this wife and mother who is just, she excels in almost everything that she does. And there's so much that's challenging and instructive, but I hate what it could do to us if we're not careful. Namely, it could make you feel pretty insignificant or inadequate, that you can look at this woman and, and all that she is and how she excels and feel like, well, like I'm, I'm a mile behind in that race, so there's no sense in even trying. And, and I don't want that to happen this morning. Uh, I want you to remember that it is better to aim big and fall a little short than it, is, than it is to aim at mediocrity and hit it squarely, right? Uh, if you shoot for the moon and you miss it, you may end up on a mountaintop. And Proverbs 31 is a moonshot. It is one of those chapters that is, that is almost too ideal, but there's so much to learn and glean. I'm excited about it. We're gonna look at uh, five marks of a magnificent mom. And this will be applicable to you no matter if you're a mom or not. You can certainly learn and glean from this. So here's my challenge before we read it. If you're a mom especially, but even if you're not a mom, my challenge to you is to take one of these marks and to say, okay, that's one that I'm pretty good at. That's in my wheelhouse. So how can I maximize that? How can I pour into that and really see that go further faster? Then perhaps take another one that you're not so great at and say, how could I improve in this area and get a little bit better? And then for bonus, if you can find one that your mom excelled at, and you can take that, a specific mark, and you can text her or call her or write her if she's still living, and say, hey, thank you for doing this well. I would encourage you to do that this morning. So here we go. Let's read Proverbs 31 together. We are gonna start in verse 10, go to the end of the chapter. It's a decent chunk of scripture, and I may have you read aloud with me every five or six verses or so, but there's a lot to cover here, more than I normally would read, but I'm not going to apologize for it, because if there was ever a place where you could read a chunk of scripture together, I would hope it would be like church. So let's read it together. Verse number 10 of Proverbs 31. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies, and the heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. 
She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works willingly with her hands. She's like a merchant ship. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is yet night and gives meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. Let's read verse 16 together. Ready, begin. She considereth a field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hand, she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle and her hands hold the distaff. She stretches out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reaches forth her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. Let's do 24 together, shall we? She maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing and she shall rejoice in the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Let's do the last verse together. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Five marks of a magnificent mom. Mark number one is her significance. When you read through this passage, the immediate truth jumps off the page that there are a lot of people who depend on this woman. You find that her husband is first up, his heart safely trusts in her and she does him good. You find that her maidens or her employees are next and it tells you that they are being fed. She's getting up like late in the night or early in the morning to take care of that and her employees are taken care of. You find in verse number 20 that the poor are being fed by her. But perhaps most importantly, she is there in the household, clearly managing the household it says, and she is with her children. It depicts a mom who is involved in public commerce, certainly, yet in a way that does not detract from her family, but actually enhances her family. And it's obvious when you read the chapter that the stability of this family is chiefly dependent upon the wisdom of this woman. That she is someone who has found a way to be foundational in their, in their family life. And moms, I wanna just start with you this morning. I want to remind you that you play a role in your children's life that is not only so significant, but it is so unique. Your children are a gift to you and you are a gift to them. And most of life's gifts come in the plural. You can have a dozen roses, right? You can see a thousand sunsets. You can gaze at a million stars, all of which are gifts. You can have multiple siblings or cousins or aunts or uncles or grandmas or grandpas, but you only get one mom. And God bless mom-in-laws. I love my mother-in-law to pieces, but you only get one mom. And the role that a mom plays is so impactful and is so significant 
and you find that this woman is kind of the, the centerpiece of her home, that she is the glue that is holding it all together. She is, I would put it this way, needed. And it's fun to be needed until you're like needed, right? The idea of being needed is, is really gratifying until they need you all the time for everything. And how many of you moms can relate with you, like your, your boys not being able to find the bottle of ketchup in the fridge on their own, right? It's right there in front of their face and they're staring at it. I don't see it anywhere. And you have to go help them find it. It's not so fun to be needed in those moments, but to be needed. Oftentimes mothering is this work that is, it is hard. It is tiring because you're needed so much. I'm reminded of Paul's words to the Corinthian church when he said that death works in us so that life can be worked in you. And that oftentimes is the art of mothering. I feel like I'm wilting so that you can bloom, children, right? I feel like so much is being extracted from me that you're sucking all the life out of me so that you can have life. And that's true not just in childbirth and in labor, but that is true in life with your children. But there is nothing more significant than being able to invest in the household. Because what does verse 28 say? It comes full circle one day. And it tells you that her children rise up and they call her blessed and her husband praises her. That word for praise is the word halah, which means hallelujah is how we would say it. It's the same word you use for praising the Lord. And it's as if the children are saying, my mom, hallelujah for that woman. They are praising her. They are blessing her. They are, they are lauding her because she has done so well by them. Perhaps the greatest accolade in all the world is for a mother's children to say hallelujah for my mom. And this is a woman who's significant. How did she get to be so significant? Well, there's a few ways. First is her stamina. If you read through the chapter, you find that there's a couple types of stamina listed. First is physical stamina. It tells you in verse number 15, she rises while it's night. Verse 18, her candle does not go out by night. Meaning very simply, there are some early mornings and some late nights for this woman. And this is not just in the early formative years of that child is six months old and they're waking up at 3 a.m. and they need to be fed. And it's, is that early morning or late night? Is my candle not going out and I'm leaving the light on because I'm, I'm about to get up? Or am I rising early in the morning? I don't know. It's, it's lost on me right now. All I know is there's some early mornings and some late nights. And then they grow up a little bit and they're in elementary school and you're spending early mornings or late nights finishing their science project for them that they should have done themselves last week, right? Confession time, mom, raise of hands. How many of you have ever done the project for your children and you sent to school with them and they, got, and they got credit for it, but you did it? Come on, let me see your hands, be honest. You know you did. You didn't want to, but you did it. And then they get older and they start to bear adult burdens, Right? It's no longer the six-year-old burden of the neighbor wouldn't share the swing with me. They're adult-sized burdens now. And there are late nights and early mornings because you're trying to get under the weight of that burden. And what worries them worries you. And when they hurt, you hurt. And when they are grieved, you are grieved. And when they're going through it and you can't fix it, it keeps you up. And it weighs heavy on your heart. What is that? That's That's motherhood. What's required to get through that? Stamina. A lot of endurance. A lot of grit. It's not easy. It's, not, it's rewarding, but it is not easy. 
It tells you actually in verse 17 that there is strength in her arm and in her loins, meaning that this is a woman who knows how to take care of her body. She's strong, she's fit. I don't know if she did like sweat into the oldies or Taibo or CrossFit. I'm not sure what she was into, but she's a strong woman, right? Verse 27, I love this. She does not eat the bread of idleness. She is not scrolling through social media incessantly, just being idle with her time day after day, hour after hour, over and over and over again. There's something to do. It's busy for her. I love the way that Ann Landers said it. She said, to be a successful mother demands infinitely more emotional balance and moral fiber than to hold down a nine to five job. Why, she asked, because as a mother, you are a chauffeur and a maid and a cook and a referee between the kids and a philosopher and a hostess and a tutor and a psychiatrist all rolled into one. And I think that she's getting at something that is true. Well, there's a lot demanded of moms but the effort is certainly worth it. And this woman is someone who is marked by stamina, physical stamina, but also I would dare say marital stamina, which is so important for the children. And this is not at all to have a cheap shot at the single mothers or those that are widowed or those that, that are not in a situation where it's, it's mom and dad pulling together in a stable home right now. But certainly there is something to a mom and dad pulling together in a stable home that bodes well for children. And the Bible doesn't just say so, the, the data from the social studies say so. This is a mom that says that she has a husband and she will do him well, quote, all the days of her life. She has committed to stick it out with her husband. And when you read the chapter, you're like, well, what guy wouldn't want to stay with this woman? I mean, she, she seems to be amazing. She's like superwoman. but every marriage takes stamina. Every marriage shall last long-term it's hard. It takes work. And she understood the art of all the days of my life. Divorce is not an option. We're going to stick it out. You know, as, as a pastor, you get to officiate weddings. I have a few weddings I'll officiate this summer, and it's always a joy. It's always fun. There's so many memories and just good times associated with that. I did some premarital counseling yesterday. But in weddings nowadays, there's a lot of people that will write, write their own vows, which is fun. I have no problem with that. I do have a problem though if you write your own vows and the vows center on what most modern vows center on, which is your feelings. The vows become basically a rehearsal of like a love song. They're just like, I, I love you so much and I feel this way about you and my heart goes pitter patter. Like that's the vows. You're just saying, I, I feel great. Whereas traditional marriage vows, have, they have no feelings at all. Traditional marriage vows are I will love you. I will be here no matter what happens. And there's a difference, right? Traditional marriage vows center on the idea of stamina. Through thick and thinner, through better or worse, or for sickness or in health, for rich or for poor, we will stick it out. There's going to be stamina all the days of my life. And this woman has this, and this certainly bodes well for the entire household. She's a woman possessed by stamina, but she's also possessed by, and I love this, shrewdness. This is a sharp, clever, wise woman. And I am grateful for all of the sharp, clever, wise women that are out there. Verse 14, it says, she brings her food from afar. And I always wondered, what does that mean? 
Like, why is that significant? I get that like she works hard or she bought this or her children bless her, but she brings her food from afar. This does not sound like something that I would be enthused about. And what this means is one of two things. Either A, she is a nutritionist of sorts and she's figured out that there's food that is less convenient to go get but if I go the distance, it will be healthier or better for us. And there's some sort of nutritional value to it. It could be that. That she understands the local market has beef and has corn, but they injected the beef with hormones to make it bigger and they sprayed the corn with pesticides or something. And whereas if she goes out in Galilee, you know, they, they don't do the hormones and the pesticides and it's healthier for them. I don't know if that's it, but she does, maybe. I tend to think that it's, she is frugal that perhaps she is getting the food from afar because it's cheaper. We would say it this way. She went to Aldi, even though Giant Eagle was, was closer, okay? <laughs> That's how we would say it. And I know that Aldi is not that far. They're popping up all over the place now, right? There's, uh, how many are in Laurelboro now? I think there's like a couple of them and there's one in Toronto Heights coming soon and, and thank God for Aldi. But she's a woman who's learned how to stretch a dollar when it comes to the, the grocery list and the budget. And this actually took me down memory lane this week, uh, thinking about my own mother. And my mom uh, tunes in, she watches after the fact almost every service. So hi mom, I love you, happy Mother's Day. But <coughs> grocery shopping with my mom was a four to five store experience. You were going to Aldi, I still remember it. Then you were going to Walmart, then you were going to Kroger, and I, I know we don't have Kroger around here. Then you were going to the bread store or the baker, and you were going to all those, because mom knew which store had what. Like she would go through the work, and it's hard work to say, what are we going to eat for the next week? What's the meal plan? What are the ingredients needed for the meal plan? What ingredients do I already have in the pantry? What do I not have? Now I have a grocery list. And that's work that goes unnoticed so many times. So to, whether you're a guy or a gal that does that, thank you for that work. And then you go shopping, right? And my mom was like the queen of knowing who had what and who had it cheapest. I'm gonna try to get the Cheerios at Aldi if they have them, because they're 50 cents cheaper, but they don't always have them because all these finicky like that. And you, I'm gonna get them there, but if they don't, then I'm gonna get them at Walmart because they're a little cheaper than Kroger. And she would know this, but don't dare get the toasted holes because those, the boys don't like those, right? Those are disgusting. You don't knock off Cheerios. It's an impossibility. You know, you have to get the real deal, right? That's, that's side note, but just a, a good rule of life that's not in the Bible, but it's a Markism if you live by this. Buy great value all you want, except for Cheerios and Oreos, okay? Those, my hats are off to the great value chemists who have figured out how to knock off all of the products, but you can't do Cheerios and Oreos. They've tried for 20 years and they haven't succeeded. They're disgusting. I do not want, I don't want chocolate sandwich rounds with cream. I want an Oreo, okay? They don't taste the same. Fruity Loopies, fine. Admiral Crunch, fine. Cinnamon Square Toast, cool. But I don't want knockoff Cheerios or Oreos. So that's just a rule. And my mom knew this. She knew what we liked. She knew where it was at. She knew it was cheaper. And she would quote, bring her food from afar. Perhaps to, to try to save a buck. It tells us in verse 16 that her shrewdness is not just on her food and on her pantry, but she considers a field and she buys it. She has the intelligence and the wherewithal and the instincts to know a good investment when she sees one and she jumps on it. 
and she buys the field. She's good with money. Her husband's heart safely trusts in her, even with the bank account, even with the pocketbook. His whole heart trusts in her and he knows that whatever she has, she's gonna manage it, manage it well. It actually reminds me of a, a marriage that existed that was perfect, except for one problem. And they wrote a poem about this marriage actually, and it goes like this. Theirs was a perfect marriage, but for one financial flaw. He was fast on the deposit, but she was quicker on the draw. That's the, the perfect marriage, except for one issue. That can be an issue though in homes, money and managing and trusting each other. That's a huge reason that's stated for divorces. But she was, she was smart with her money. She was wise. Verse 30, I love this. She knows, quote, favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. Both have to do with people looking at you pleasantly. Favoring you or putting their eyes on you. And she knew, don't put your eggs in the favor and the beauty basket. And that's not to say that she let herself go. You see that she, the strength was in her arms and she was fit. You see her clothing listed. She clothes herself with, quote, silk and purple, which is like the finest of the day. Like she was a fashionista, right? Virtuous woman wears Prada. Like that's what's happening here. But she understood inherently that favor and beauty can be deceptive and that looks don't hold up. And no matter how many times you get the facelift, it's gonna fall. Like you keep lifting, but it's coming down one day, right? She knew this. And she chose not to hitch her wagon to that, to say that this is going to be what makes up my life. And it wasn't just silk. It wasn't just purple that clothed her because verse 25 tells you that she's clothed with strength and honor. She understood what Peter would talk about that the inside, the hidden man of the heart is far more valuable for a woman than the external beauty and putting on all the jewelry and all the makeup and all the things. She got that. She knew what was the wise investment. And I think all of us on some level, we get this, whether we want to admit it or not. That if you invest in an asset that appreciates over the course of time and grows, that is a better investment than investing in an asset that will depreciate over the course of time, right? You will be happy 10 years later with the investment that appreciated and that grew. And when you invest in your character, when you invest in honor, when you invest in your work ethic, when you invest in your children, those are things that will grow over the course of time and will blossom to be more beautiful. But when you invest all of your time and your attention and your heart and your emotional bandwidth or even your pocketbook in some crazy ways into physical beauty, that is an asset that depreciates. And I hate to say it that way, but it does. She got that beauty was vain. And she cared more about working diligently and managing well than she did her skincare routine. And I'm not against skincare routines. I'm not against you looking good, so don't misunderstand me. I am though, and I think the Bible is as well, very clearly against you attaching the weight of your heart to how you look. You are far more than how you look on the outside. What's on the inside matters the most. And she got that. She was wise to that. 
But it wasn't just her shrewdness. Look at this, it was her speech. This is perhaps my favorite part. I think they're all my favorites, but if I have a favorite favorite, this may be it. Verse 25, what does she do with her speech? She rejoices in verse 26. She opens her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue is the law of kindness. This paints a picture of a woman who is filled with words of joy and wisdom and kindness. And how attractive is that? This is a woman who deep down wanted to speak words of joy, wisdom, and kindness. And this would come from her heart, right? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So there is this river that's connected between her heart and her mouth and flowing from her heart to her mouth is joy and wisdom and kindness. And there were, I would say, rules of engagement for this woman's tongue. Spread joy, impart wisdom, and be kind. Those, that's good for everybody. That's not just good for moms. That is good for moms, but that is good for, for every female. That is good for every male. That is good for all of us in this room. If you can have rules of engagement for your tongue that are spread joy, impart wisdom, and be kind, that will serve you well. And that's the opposite of what our culture is most of the time. Because our culture is spread complaints, be cynical, let everyone know what's wrong, why? Be right. Isn't it so much better to have a mouth that's filled with joy and wisdom and kindness? And that's this woman. You know, I saw this play out in our home recently. You know, we just had this great moment. Got to baptize my daughter. The family's back there like, oh, pastor, that looks so cute and awesome. But it's not always that way, okay? This week, my uh, thirdborn, Cruz, who is five, I think we have a picture of Cruz to show you this morning. Looks like a happy kid, doesn't he? Yeah. Looks like a nice kid. Cruz said some things this week that were not Proverbs 31-esque. He, uh, his tongue was not filled with joy and wisdom and kindness. Cruz this week, on multiple occasions, he's, he's actually pretty gifted at being mean. He, uh, <laughs> it's remarkable. He told his, his siblings, you're ugly. He told his siblings, I heard him on, on a couple occasions. He got in trouble for this, but he, he does it. You're stupid. He told his siblings this week, and it, this was one that, like, I was shocked in a bad way, but I was also marveling at the genius of how he came up with it. I don't know how he did it. It was so mean. He told one of his siblings this week, I wish you weren't in our family. That's what he said. I know, I know what you're thinking. Pastor's kid possessed by a demon. <laughs> like... <laughs> If you do exorcisms, email me. We could have a partnership. That may be true. Cruz, he's crafty. When you get on his nerves or you bug him, oftentimes he won't punch you. He will take his tongue and he will cut you down. He's like, he can just do it. And we're working with that and we're trying to discipline that out of him and we're trying to obviously turn the corner on that. That's not a good thing. But I've met a lot of adults who never grew out of that. Who when you're ticked, you're frustrated, you are wounded, you don't power up physically, you power up verbally. And you start to slash and you start to cut and you start to criticize and you start to nag and you start to let them have it. Listen, don't. You want your kids to call you blessed? You want your husband to praise you? 
You want your wife to praise you? You want your children to think you're a good dad? Let your tongue have a law of kindness. Let your words be filled with joy and wisdom and kindness. It will go so far. If you can learn to manage your speech. I read a story this week about a child in the uh, kind of mid-1900s. True story. Had a mom. Mom was a dominating mother. Not very kind, not very wise, not very loving. Didn't have a lot of time for anyone but herself. Mom had three marriages. Her second marriage that ended in divorce. Uh, The husband stated the reason for divorce, and that was because she abused him. And this mother worked, told her children, I don't have time for you, leave me alone, was just, she wasn't great. This boy had a a pretty good IQ, but he dropped out of school when he was pretty young. A little bit later, he joined the Marines, was dishonorably discharged from the Marines, couldn't even uh, keep his driver's license up to date, and eventually moved to another country. He moved abroad. There he met a woman, they got married, and shortly thereafter, things started to really fall apart. She left him, and he was at his lowest, thinking like this life, what is there? I'm good for nothing. I have no skills, I have no talents, I have have nothing going for me. He went to his wife, he begged her to come back, and she did. And then he moved back to the United States. Here in in the U.S., he really had one talent, and that was his ability to handle a rifle, and he learned that in the Marines. And on November 22nd of 1963, this little boy who had grown up, Lee Harvey Oswald was his name, took his only talent, went three stories up in Dallas, Texas in this building, and changed history. Fired three rounds and killed JFK. Now, I don't know all of Lee Harvey Oswald's story. I don't know if he had a mother who had the law of kindness on her tongue if it would have produced a different result. I'm not blaming her for his choices. He made his own choices and he has to live with that. But I would, I guess, speculate that perhaps there was a mother who had learned some speech that was different, that maybe there would have been a different trajectory for that kid, that life would have panned out a little differently for that kid. Don't underestimate what you do with your tongue. James tells you it's almost impossible to control it, but it is powerful. James would call it like a nuclear weapon. You can use it for life or you can use it for death. And this woman, she understood her speech and she used it well. Lastly is her spirituality. Verse number 12 says that she does her husband good, not evil. That's a good rule of life. Try to do good, not evil, right? That's how she was. Verse 20, she ministers to the poor. She sees the poor, they have a need. She holds out her hand. I don't know if it was a family ministry where they went on the weekends to the, to the homeless shelter and tried to minister or what exactly they did, but she had a ministry to the poor. Verse 29 says there's a lot of virtuous women, but this woman was exceptionally virtuous. And then verse 30 is almost the capstone to the chapter. It tells you that she feared the Lord. And that is the foundation You want to build your speech, you want to build your life, you want to build your home on a sturdy foundation, build it on that foundation. Fear the Lord. That's where wisdom starts. That's that's where you start to learn what you really need to learn. 
is to have an appreciation and a healthy reverence of and a respect for an almighty God. And this was a woman who was a spiritual woman. I don't know more than this. I don't know what her temple worship looked like exactly. I don't know how, how she went about it. I don't, I don't know all the nooks and crannies, but I know this much. She was a spiritual woman who loved the Lord, who feared the Lord, who wanted to do her husband good, who didn't want to do evil, who wanted to help other people, who was exceptionally virtuous. And I would challenge you, mom or not, I would challenge you to say, I want that to be the foundation of my life. I wanna know God, I wanna love Jesus, I wanna fear the Lord. I don't wanna shortcut my spiritual life. Don't try to cut corners. Well, I don't know, if I'm feeling like it, I'll go to church, maybe. Flip a quarter, let's see. Don't. Make it a rhythm, make it a habit. Take your Bible, instead of not reading it or reading it a little, try it, megadose on it. Take a lot of it in. Pray, and not just for yourself, pray for your children, moms. The power of a praying mom is, is unbelievable. Pray for them, serve others. May it be that when it's all said and done, your children could say that you were blessed and your children would say, you know what? Mom wasn't perfect, but she had an authentic walk with God and it was attractive. And that'd be a goal. I want my children to see an authentic walk with God and I want it to be attractive to them. That's this woman. And I would tell you, I'd be the first to tell you this morning, if you know God, great, develop that relationship with him. Know him better. But if you don't know God, even on Mother's Day of 2023, you can come to know him. That's all made possible through Jesus. I love the choir song this morning. They sing all about it. That Jesus literally came to bridge the gap between man and our sin and God and his holiness and to pull us together. And he dies on the cross for our sins and he is buried and he raises from the dead to offer us forgiveness, to wipe out those sins, to give us eternal life, to give us a home in heaven. And if you don't know that heaven will be your home, if you don't know that you're forgiven, if you don't know that, that God is your, is your heavenly father and you are his dear child, then man, put your faith in Jesus. You can know that. You can know that. And you can begin to build a foundation of knowing God and walking with God and fearing God. And don't, this is my last note, don't tell yourself it's too late, okay? Because I know how some of you will think, ah, the ship sailed. The kids are teens already. The kids are out of the house already. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. Listen to me. God knows and God specializes in taking broken people and using them and repairing them and working through them so put your eggs in that basket. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. But fear the Lord, oh man, you literally can't go wrong there. So there's the marks. Here's a woman, she was significant certainly. She was a woman who built off of her spirituality. Her speech was impeccable. She was shrewd and she was wise and she had stamina where she was, she was committed for the long game. Here's where we started. Take the one that you tend to be okay at. It's a little in your wheelhouse, okay? Don't ignore that. Sometimes we ignore that, don't ignore that. How can you maximize that? You naturally pretty kind in your speech? Well then write more notes, send more kind emails, text more often, 
talk more. There, Lord knows there's a lot of people talking that don't need to. So you talk more. If you have some wisdom and some joy and some kindness, we'll take it. Take the one that's like, oh, mm, that's a pain point. And stop and say, God, help me. I want to get better at that. I don't want that to be shoved off to the side. And then for bonus, take one that perhaps your mom did well. And if she's still with us, stop today and let her know. <laughs>